0: War. What is it good for? Another Dem in the race, and Tiger misses the cut. Tales from Beth Page Black. All this and more on this week's Three Seas in a Pod.
1: Three Seas in a Pod, a weekly podcast from Provision Advisors. A look at the good, the bad, and the what could be better in the world of communication.
0: Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Bashan Mann, and with me on the show are Chris Cervello and John Schofield, and we thank you for joining us this week. For more of the provision conversation, follow us on Twitter and give us your thoughts at ProV Advisors. That's P-R-O-V Advisors. Or you can check us out on the web, provisionadvisors.net. As always, we look forward to hearing from you. Let's begin today's show with rear view. Uh, First up, Iran. Folks, with all of this talk about discord with Iran, are we really at risk for war? Or is it really just a war of words in the news headlines and social media? I move it to John.
2: Uh, I find it kind of frightening in one sense, but uh, also it's it's a little bit of a pressing the the, the reset button. Um, you know, like I'm watching a bad rerun. I, I know that there are incidents in the Gulf that we've Steamed uh, the carrier Abraham Lincoln from the sixth fleet AOR into the fifth fleet AOR rapidly in order to show around that we mean business. And I know that there is a long history of of philosophical uh, difference with that regime. Um, but you know the the whole idea that and we've talked about the idea of fatigue uh, with these audiences and with this country before. I I don't I don't know if anyone really. Sees or understands threat Iran poses, mm-hmm. if at all, and I don't think anyone really has the taste for putting people potentially in harm's way for for no good articulated reason. And that's where I'll end as the communicator here. I think this administration, and it might be the dearth of leadership that exists in the Pentagon E ring, that you've got uh, a brand new Secretary of Defense who was really just an acting Secretary of Defense. You've got you know, loads and loads of of uh, of empty appointed positions um, in the Pentagon advising on issues like this. And I just don't know how well it's been communicated what the threat is, why we need to be there, why we needed to steam Lincoln there, and, and what we really believe the outcome uh, would be of this conflict.
0: Chris, before I go to you, let me just say, uh, and, and to update for folks at home, if you were tracking this week, or if you just did a quick Google search. Uh, on Iran. You'd see a dearth of uh, of, of media stories. Uh, John mentioned the Lincoln strike group that sort of started, or I guess ended last week uh, and started this week. And then just a, a myriad of, um, of headlines all over the map uh, about what our officials uh, feel, um, uh, h- how they're feeling about I- Iran and uh, just escalating tensions. So John mentioned Chris about um, fatigue. What do the um, what do the differing or, or, or the uh, the variety of headlines uh, mean to the American public? And, and are they even paying attention? What are your thoughts on that?
3: I, I think to a limited degree they're paying attention. Um, But I don't know that they'll pay attention for long, to to John's point. I I do think um, that our foreign – other foreign adversaries are paying attention. So if you're Russia particularly, and to some degree China, um, I I think you're listening to the rhetoric coming out of the White House, uh, and I think you're pretty happy. Um, a conflict with Iran, whether it's simply a war of words or if it escalates into something else, really only benefits the Chinese and the Russians because it takes our eye off of this larger idea of global competition. So th- that's really where I- I'm concerned. Uh, you know, in addition to what John said about the potential loss of life or being stuck in another long war, because conflict with Iran. and and or uh, its proxies would not be short. The other thing that this idea of war of words or the the ratcheting up of rhetoric, um, whether it's this White House or any other White House is, is I think especially in today's 24 hour news cycle, social media, what what have you, um, it really does limit the options that the president and the people that are planning uh, for potential conflict that war of words limits what we can do. Um, and it, I think it, it only emboldens, uh, our, our potential enemies because they don't have to play by the same rules. Right. So they're not worried about keeping their internal audience or they're, you know, in this case for us, the American people, they're, they're not, they're not worried about keeping their people informed. So we kind of have to play it a little bit more down the middle and be, uh more honest and more transparent, it limits what options can be planned for, what options can be carried out. When you ha- have this kind of public discourse and this, this public ratcheting up of, uh, of rhetoric uh, is not a good thing. And uh, I, I hope, whether it's for Iran or any other conflict, that, that we really work hard to keep those discussions behind closed doors, um, only to bring them out when it's uh, at an appropriate time.
0: Well said. Uh, We're going to switch gears now, uh, focusing on New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, who has become the 23rd to join the race for 2020. Uh, The bigger question, what does this mean to the field at large? Uh, And does this field, this growing field uh, of of Democrats, does it actually damage uh, the Dems' chances? Um, What exactly are we looking at with now 23 individuals? Uh, Chris, you want to weigh in?
3: If I was a Democrat uh, or Democratic strategist, I I would worry about a couple things. I would worry about sucking the donor pool dry um, Mm -hmm. early. You're really spreading out those funds across a a, a wide swath of, of candidates. I would worry about... Audience fatigue. I mean, that seems to be a common theme, but I really think that, you know, for such a long race to have 23 candidates in one, we've talked about it before on this podcast. How do you distinguish yourself? And two, I, I think, you know, with 23 candidates, you really do run the risk of watering down the brand. So what does the Democratic Party stand for with that many potential candidates? Mm-hmm. Well, I think we saw a little bit of this on the uh, on the Republican side in 16. And I, I think it only helped a candidate like Donald Trump who was willing to be outlandish and willing to um, really do and say anything to get above the noise. You um, right. had so many other uh, other candidates vying for that more traditional role. I, I don't know if that's going to be the same with Joe Biden, who you know is looking to be the traditional statesman, um, kind of right down the middle uh, Democratic candidate because he believes that uh, that that's what will beat Donald Trump. Um, so I worry about donor fatigue. I worry about message fatigue. Those are those are really uh, important issues for the leaders of the Democratic Party to start thinking about.
2: I think the whole thing's a joke. Um, it's uh it, it it I call it a clown show now. And and I I'm not trying to disrespect the twenty three candidates. I just I just don't think this is how it works. And fresh for me to sit here from my high horse and tell America how to run its democratic processes, but I just don't understand. I don't get why we do this to ourselves. If people want change so damn much in the Democratic Party, then then organize your shit better. Um, and, and figure out a way to, to get this process more streamlined so that there's less dispersion of the messages. 23 different people think that they can solve the problems of this country. And, and they have probably 23 very unique positions on how to how to exact that change, uh, they might feel the same way about you know abortion or or voter rights or or any number of issues, but they're mm-hmm. going to be unique in their own approach, and and that starts to dilute um, the the overall pool of change here, mm-hmm. and and I, I I don't know why. Bill De Blasio, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, from what I've heard, people in New York City don't like him very much. So yeah, let's run for let's run for president. Right. Um, I I I think it's a clown show, and and I'm disappointed. If I had to predict, I'm going to stick to the final four. I predicted earlier that it's going to come down to to Biden and Bernie and Kamala and, and Pete Buttigieg. But um, I, I think they're all just going to hurt each over hurt each other over the next. 14 months uh, as we get closer to November and no one's going to really have a clear picture of how the democratic party wants to win or how they're going to beat the income.
0: Right. um, um, Go ahead. Go ahead.
3: I just was going to ask one thing. So when you look at the Republicans uh, in 2016 at, I I think they were right around a dozen. And then you look at the Democrats now right around two dozen. I, I think we're ripe for a third or a fourth party uh, at, at some point. Um, the, I mean, I, you have to you have to wonder. I mean, how is there that much dispersion among among the two uh, traditional parties? And you know, what what does that mean? Um, you know, there's 23 different positions or 23 different candidates right now. I would say that there's probably four or five. I mean, you could say there's four or five factions solid factions within that 23 and so what what does that mean? I mean are they are they suddenly going to be able to unify under the under the single faction that it would take uh, to to run against Donald Trump? So um, I think there's both short-term and long-term questions that need to be considered for the Democrats but I mean you, you know for the Republicans as well.
2: Selfishly as a political scientist, I'm really hoping well, I'm not a political scientist. I majored in political science at Villanova, but I I, I have always had a really hard time with this two party system that you have to you have to be one or the other. Um, and then independence, you know, I I go back to the scorn that Joe Lieberman had when he when he went independent because he couldn't win the democratic primary in his own state. So I'll just win as an independent. Um, I'm waiting for the day where it's not Republican or Democrat, and and that's gonna be a very dramatic day. And and I I almost think that's too progressive a change uh, for this country. I don't know if they can bite it off, but I'm looking for that person who comes around and says, I'm neither, Uh, I'm just gonna fix this country. But then, you know, how does that person fundraise? How do they get support? How do they get a, a seat at the table for debates? It, this whole thing is broken
0: all right listen folks we took a look back and uh, when we return we'll get into deep dive stay with us you're listening to three season a
1: Provision advisors we prepare your team for the what-ifs you never thought you'd encounter let us help solve your toughest communication challenges and leave your team stronger and more capable for the opportunities that lie ahead
0: all right folks we're back and it's time to deep dive well, for all of my golf uh, aficionados out there, Eldrick Woods has officially missed the cut. But it begs the question, when your favorite player or your favorite team leaves the playoffs or a tournament early, what does this do for ratings and viewership interest? And what's more important, the sport or the team playing it? So, John, I throw it to you. Give us a, uh, give us your insight on that question.
2: It's always bad for the sport and, uh, you know, Tim Fincham, um, you know, the – the the leader of the PGA tour um, probably does not like it when big names like Tiger or Phil or Jordan uh, Spieth miss a cut, you know, Justin Thomas was injured this week. He isn't in there. Um, But for all the talk that people have about the young guns who are really good for golf, who came up idolizing Tiger, and now they're making the game better and better. They're not Tiger and they're not, and I'm going to say it, they're not interesting. Jordan Spieth, Great golfer, Jordan Spieth, really effing boring. Um, Brooks Kepka, looks like he's built like a NFL tight end, but not a really engaging and energetic personality on the tour. Um, and the same thing for most of those dudes. Ricky's got some uh, personality. Phil is obviously awesome, but you know the when Tiger misses the cut and and you lose the. You know, the large viewership that loves just watching Tiger, whether he's playing in the PGA Championship or he's playing in the Greater Hartford Open, it hurts. And, and that's kind of what you see across sports right now that I am quite sure that, that David Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, was really, really hoping that the NBA Finals was not going to be the Denver Nuggets against the Toronto Raptors. Um, that's just not interesting. It's two small media markets with no disrespect to people in Denver or Toronto. But that's just not interesting. A lot better media markets for Oakland with Golden State and you know, possibly Milwaukee, although I wouldn't call that a big media market, but they have the star power of Giannis. Same thing with the NHL playoffs. They they got lucky with Boston sweeping Carolina. Uh, but they were at the they were at the cusp of looking at Maybe a St. Louis Blues and Carolina Hurricane Stanley Cup Final, about ten people would watch that so i, I do think the the game is the game, and and you 're going to have people tune in for the Super Bowl, no matter who 's playing because they like the commercials and it 's the Super Bowl. But when you have these other when you have these other dynamics in play with individual sports like golf, uh, popular mainstream sports like like baseball, basketball, and hockey. Um, you need star power in order to get ratings. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, I, I, I wish that it was less that way. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports purist, but it, without Tiger in the hunt this weekend, and if it's Brooks Koepka winning by 17 shots, no one's going to watch that on
3: Sunday, and that's, that's bad for the game.
0: Well said. Chris, what's more important? Is it the sport or is it the team that's playing it?
3: So I think during the regular season, um, or for golf, during their you know during the non-major time, um, I I think it's a sport. I I think that the um, the fan base that is built up throughout the year matters. But to John's point, when it gets to playoff time, when it gets to majors time in golf and in tennis, um, it really does come down to star power or media market power uh, in the case of the major sports. So without Tiger, uh, playing for the weekend, e- even if he wasn't a contender, I think you're going to lose a, uh, a, significant amount of the, the casual, uh, observer for, uh, for the PGA. John alluded to the NHL playoffs, the NBA playoffs. I, I think that we see this year in and year out in the playoffs, for major sports, that when you lose either a major star a la LeBron, and now you have LeBron in a major media market like L.A., so when the Lakers and LeBron are both out of the playoffs, I think you're going to see a significant drop in viewership. Um, when the playoffs come down to Milwaukee and Denver, um, yeah, you're going to lose the significant media markets that are the the coasts. When you have the New York Knicks that are you know perennially in the basement, um, and, and aren't a factor in the playoffs. Over time, that that hurts. So this is the challenge for these uh, for for these sports as they think about the playoffs and as they think about their major events. How do they work to spread the talent out so that when it comes time for these big events, that the talent and the major media markets are are around to play a factor in the business that that is the sports. So it's almost two lines of business. One is to build the overall brand and uh, keep that brand churning along throughout the year so that you know baseball fans love baseball, golf, golf fans love golf and you, you're expanding who falls into that. But then the second line of effort is is to work with that talent so that the talent is spread around, uh, or in the case of golf, the talent is interesting um, so that uh, when it comes time for the major events and, and, and the playoffs, that you can leverage those media markets and that star power to really cash in uh, when it comes to money.
0: Well, let's hope... Um... Uh, investors uh, both on the uh, network side uh, as well as uh, as well as sponsors are are paying attention to those words thank you gentlemen truly appreciate it stay with us folks we're coming right back with what's next on the horizon you're listening to three season about
1: at provision advisors we specialize in strategic communication planning execution and coaching for senior level leaders and communicators dedicated to achieving success we work together with your team to achieve favorable outcomes amid contentious or controversial issues which directly impact relationships and market identity.
0: Welcome back to Three Seasons a Pod with Provision Advisors. Let's look out on the horizon at what the next week may bring.
3: Chris, we're going to start with you. I'm really looking at the the Baltimore Orioles and really the city of Baltimore, uh, the brand as it pertains to baseball. Uh, there was a great story this week in the athletic by Ken Rosenthal um, talking about the Orioles in Baltimore and, and uh, all the combination of the struggles for both. So if you're following the news out of Baltimore, the violence over the last three or four years has continues to skyrocket. They had uh, major political problems. Uh, their mayor resigned after a uh, very public scandal in, involving uh, money and in the selling of her self-published book. And then you have the Orioles um, who have not been able to put a quality product on the field. Uh, it's pretty bad in Baltimore right right now. And, um, you know, while it's a long shot, I, I don't think it's completely far-fetched to wonder whether or not the city and baseball remain a viable pair Uh, For for the future. So, uh, you know, Ken Rosenthal got me thinking it's something that uh, I want to keep an eye on. Um, I think communication and how the city and how the Orioles communicate and how Major League Baseball communicates is central to um, stopping the bleeding and trying to find ways to bring the fans back to uh, to Camden Yards to to watch and enjoy the the Orioles. Uh, John, I know you've got some thoughts on this.
2: Yeah, man. Well, Chris, you and I both know uh, intimately as season ticket holders for this team and as lifelong Orioles fans how um, how painful this whole thing is. That going to games um, and literally seeing less than 8,000 people at the game, uh, in some cases, Well, they just set the record for lowest attendance earlier this year when there was something like 6,300 people in there. That's embarrassing, and, and, it's, and it's ludicrous. And, and the team is in a really, really delicate spot right here because they're getting smoked on the field. They don't even lose well. They lose like my you know, 10-year-old was losing his baseball game yesterday. It's, it's, it's not good baseball. And then they're also looking at a little $300 million settlement that they owe the Washington Nationals for the whole massive TV deal. And they've been kicking the can legally down the road with these guys for a long, long time. Um, but the the fact of the matter remains: they they made a really Orioles-friendly deal with with the Nats, and then when it came time to make it more equitable, they didn't, and they owe the Nats money. And I mean, three hundred million is what the arbitrator wants them to pay, and that could end up being more. And they'll keep trying to get continuations on the uh, on the lawsuit, but. You try you try signing some big level free agents, and you try luring a fan base back into Camden Yards when when you just lost 300 mil. Now the Angelos have that money, great, but um, it, it's it's a troubling time, particularly when the popularity of Baltimore and Chris talked about the the corruption in the police department, the corruption in the mayor's office, the high rate of crime, um, but also the fact that. People hang out in Baltimore, not near the stadium anymore. The the evolution and 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 the change of Camden, and uh, and of uh, Fell's Point, of uh, Federal Hill, places that aren't near Camden Yards. People get their entertainment now in Baltimore by not going to Orioles games. And right now, I think they're 14 and 29. If the roles were reversed and they were 29 and 14, I don't know if you'd have that many more people in there. So i think it's good to watch on the horizon, Chris, because i think I think there are storm clouds out there on the horizon. It's not going to be pretty
3: hey, well, one thing I would like to add because I mean obviously we're Oreo fans and live in the Baltimore area, but I think whenever you if you were to look at it, how any other city has turned this thing around. Um, They have found, you know, one central um, component and then built around that component and whether that component was the team suddenly got better or whether they, um, the city suddenly got better or, the, or, you know, there was revitalization near the stadium or you put the stadium near the revitalization. There just doesn't, I mean, there doesn't appear to be that one thing for Baltimore. And um, so if, if you're a communicator for the city or for the state or for, um, for, for the Orioles, um, you know, it's gotta be a head scratcher to kind of figure out how you draw interest back back in. It it doesn't look like it's going to be with the product they put on the field. It doesn't look like there's any way that the city is going to turn around anytime soon. So, uh, this really is a conundrum from a, from a sales and marketing standpoint, not just for the Orioles, but for the whole area.
2: Yeah. And if people think that there's no way the Baltimore Orioles leave town, I'll 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 get my my dad on this podcast here in the near future, and he can talk about 1983 when he was positive that a team was storied and embedded in Baltimore lore as the Baltimore Colts could never leave Baltimore, and they left. So if this thing continues to go downhill and they lose money, continue to lose money like they have to be doing right now, why wouldn't you move? I I, I wouldn't stand in their way. It would break my heart, but you got to treat it like a bizzle.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, I thank you. Uh, thank you for that input. Um, Yankees at the top of the American League. Moving on. So, uh, John, you, uh, what's next for you on the horizon?
2: Really, the biggest thing happening in recent memory uh, tomorrow, Sunday, is uh, the uh, the quarterfinals of uh, college lacrosse. Um, huge. No, I just—it's the season and series finale of Game of Thrones. Um, so we we find out who sits on the Iron Throne. Although spoiler alert, I don't know if the Iron Throne is still there. There was a lot of fire last week. Just a little Um bit. so, just a teeny bit. Um, so I, I'm interested as a communicator how HBO continues to kind of capitalize on this um, on on this momentum that they've had with really really good shows. I know they're talking about. Game of Thrones prequels that'll bring all the nerds like me back and and watching again. Uh, but they've always done a great job, uh, drawing people in through really diverse shows, six feet under the Sopranos entourage, uh, Barry, uh, which comes on after game of Thrones every week, which I find to be hilarious. Um, and, and doing that as you have Hulu and Netflix starting to get a lot better content too as George Clooney is coming out with the Catch-22 series. Um, what's HBO gonna do to fill the void once Sunday comes and, and someone's sitting on the Iron Throne? Um, and then selfishly, I, I, I can't even begin to guess. I, I'm gonna throw it to you guys, put you on the spot what do you actually think the rating share what what's going to be the viewership of of the game of thrones finale cuz i think it might be like super bowl levels uh
0: i don't i don't disagree i think there will definitely be a lot of people tuning in those who are just sort of interested in catching up in the uh on the bandwagon uh and those dedicated viewers uh that are just really into finding out what happens despite despite the negative feedback uh that came after uh last week's episodes there was a there was definitely a lot of pushback on the writing room uh, about the character build up and the letdown uh, of that episode so uh will it be will it be super bowl levels I i think it could be close um you know we'll definitely see uh for me it is uh it is uh demand viewing so uh we'll see
3: I think I've said before I am not Game of Thrones watcher. Um, perhaps will be at some point when I'm looking for a new TV show. But w- what is interesting to watch um, is, while the the feedback on these last couple of episodes may not be that great now, I, I think these. These last seasons tend to age well over time. If you think about the Sopranos and you think about others in the moment, people are kind of let down. It's just almost impossible to match the hype, but then they tend to uh, they tend to do well over time. But I do think it's interesting. Uh, There was a great article in The Washington Post this morning that talks about, you know, kind of what happens next. Um, you know, what will be the next Game of Thrones, the next Sopranos, the, you know, the next big thing, whether it's for HBO or for for others and, um, you, you know, just the, the arms race, as they call it, that is going on to bring those storylines and those stars together to find that that next big series um, that that's going to be exciting to watch over the next few weeks and months. I will say I am looking very much forward to the next season of The Handmaid's Tale which I believe is out in in June um and while I don't think it's at the same level um you, you kind of juxtapose the the storyline in The Handmaid's Tale with sort of everything that's going on in uh, the political world and oh boy there's, there's quite, I won't go there but there's quite, no, a, no, quite a, that's quite a good a draw, point quite a draw
0: Uh, Thank you gentlemen graduation uh, season is upon us wedding season coming up right behind it Uh, a special shout out to all the moms dads grandmoms granddads uncles aunts uh, Guardians uh, everyone who has taken a part uh, in making sure that these graduates um, Achieved a level of recognition that they're receiving uh, over the course of this weekend and and throughout the week So just from from provision advisors uh, to you and yours. uh, We want to say congratulations uh, for your level of achievement. Also, just this just this past week, excuse me, uh, the NBA draft lottery took place uh, on Tuesday, on June 20th. Uh, the NBA draft will take place, but the New Orleans Pelicans received the first pick in the draft, and all all sources point to them picking up Duke standout uh, Zion Williamson with the with the number one draft pick. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing, even though I know it's June 20th, uh, seeing how that uh, how that transpires. Uh, is he going to just say, "Hey, look, I'll go to New Orleans," uh, even though they have a big man down there right now that is uh, uh, quite upset uh, with uh, with with the organization? Uh, but I'm very interested. It's it's going to uh, maybe perhaps uh, make NBA teams uh, take a a different look at quote unquote tanking.
2: I think that it definitely puts tanking in um, in a tenuous position for teams that it they used to be fait accompli that that the team with the worst record would end up with the uh, number one um, draft pick. And maybe that's something that the NFL and and major league baseball and other major leagues should adopt is, is a, is a lottery system like that so that it dissuades teams like the Orioles from being crappy. Although as Chris was saying off air, um, you've got a different uh, situation in baseball where the number one overall pick is not going to be a game changer like Zion is. So, um, I think the lottery is a good thing, um, and, and it injects a little bit of unknown in there to keep teams accountable throughout the season.
0: Well said. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us here on Three Seasons in a Pod. Uh, we always welcome your feedback, so uh, please take some time and leave a comment below. Uh, we'd like for you to join us next week uh, where we will continue the Three C's conversation. And until then, be good, be safe, and be better.
1: Thank you for listening to Three C's in a Pod. Have a great week.